Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome to those that are online and at the downtown campus. Uh, we're going to be in our study of 1 John. Uh, as Scott was giving you some announcements, I'd love to just to highlight a couple things as well. There's just a lot that's beginning to happen. Again, as we're reconnecting, uh, beginning to find each other on Sundays, kind of in person. Uh, I know that those that are attending the downtown campus as well as here, just really thank you for just being patient with us and kind of finding seats and making room for people as they come in. I know we're going to experience those challenges as long as we're creating distance right now for people, and, but I'm hoping that we'll be at a place at some point where we'll be able to have more people in the building and uh, continue to encourage one another and worship together. Uh, to be part of this Sunday gathering has really been special, and so as we've kind of started it back up, there's really a lot of ways that you can continue to connect with River Tree, not just in worship, but through service. And so as you're starting your rhythm of kind of setting aside Sunday again for a time of corporate gathering, uh, know that you can get connected to River Tree as well. And there's a couple things I'll just highlight. One is, of course, children's ministry is something that we are thrilled about, and we love the opportunity to serve families and kids through children's ministry. Starting preschool ministry is our goal in a couple weeks at the downtown campus. And so as that begins to happen, it's really volunteer dependent. And so as people are reconnecting with River Tree, finding ways to plug in, we would love to see uh, preschool start for the families that are connecting to downtown campus. And as we do that, I know this, there'll be some families that are serving at the Cove campus currently, they're gonna move to the downtown campus because it's closer to their home. And so that's gonna create opportunities here at Cove for people to serve with our preschool kids and in children's ministry. And so just know that, uh, that there's a lot of opportunity there as well as in our tech ministry. You know, when we were about to open up the downtown campus and to kind of expand ministries to two separate locations, we were really at a place where attendance was high. We were moving towards Easter. Uh, there was just lots of involvement, lots of people and, and taking, you know, involved in the ministries. Since that, really kind of on a national scale, churches are seeing about a quarter to a third of those that were attending and part of ministries kind of re-engaging at this point. And so that creates some unique opportunities for us as we're still opening up another campus and the downtown location, finding even people who are involved in kind of the technical parts of ministry and worship ministry, uh, what's happening with our online experience, what's happening, what you see slide-wise and sound-wise, like it takes dedicated volunteers every Sunday to do that. And so we're seeing opportunities as well to serve at Cove, at downtown. If there's something in you uh, that is gifted technically, uh, we would love for you to, I don't know if you have to be gifted technically, maybe you do. Uh, we can can teach you uh, if you're just a willing body. Uh, if, if there's something about just getting involved at River Tree and what we're doing on Sunday morning, and that's an area where you've served before, or would like to serve, we'd love to tell you more about how to do that here at downtown and the Cove campus. So lastly, I'll just highlight one more thing. Uh, we are doing a really special evening, Friday, October 23rd. Uh, it'll be a night that we set aside, invite people back. Uh, we will be teaching uh, through an extended time. So uh, more than just a sermon, but there are moments periodically where we have a chance to just sit in God's word and kind of look at the scripture as a whole and work through what we're calling a series called Questionable. And it's Questionable as the title of the series, but we're looking at the family, marriage and sexuality. And what does God's word have to say on those topics? And those are certainly hot topics within our culture today. And God's word has a lot to offer. And so I'm thrilled uh, that Zach Carter, our discipleship pastor, is gonna be sharing that night. Uh, if you've ever been to 
uh, David Platt and a secret church experience, uh, this will have a similar feel, only better. Uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say that, but I would just say, I've already seen what Zach has prepared and what that's gonna do. I feel I just give you great insight into God's word and encourage you on issues that we're constantly kind of having conversations about within our home or at, the, at work, about marriage, family, and sexuality. And so come, be part of that. October 23rd, you're gonna hear more about that in the next few days, but I would love to invite you back for that. All right, we are in 1 John. If you are new with us, uh, let me just give you a little background on this letter. As John is older, uh, he is a patriarch at this point, kind of one of the, the church fathers. He is likely in his 90s, and he's writing almost as a grandfather would to his audience in a way to just encourage them in their faith. John makes it clear in 1 John chapter 5, he says, here's why I'm writing this to you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I find that to be a fantastic reason for John to write, that you may know that you have eternal life. Because you're not unlike me, and certainly our culture at large wonders at time, do I really have eternal life? Do I know what I need to know? Do I know God? How am I going to experience kind of the full purpose of life that God has intended for me? Do I? And so what John is trying to answer for you is like to know that you know. And, and John begins to walk through this letter with a lot of challenges, but a lot of encouragement as well about how you can know that you know God. And if you know God, have eternal life. And so he opens up chapter one talking about sin. And he spends a lot of time in chapter one giving us kind of an awareness of sin, an, an awareness of the importance of seeing sin, confessing sin, that if you don't recognize sin, you will miss a savior. Meaning the way that we experience Jesus is often connected to what Jesus came to save us from. And so if we are people who are confessing sin, if we are keep people who are recognizing what sin is, it brings a sense of illumination to who Jesus is and we know him in a deeper way. He moves into chapter two and he says, another way that you're gonna know that you know, have an assurance of your salvation is if your life is moving towards obedience. If your life is kind of, the trajectory of life is to the commands of God. In other words, there is something that our lives begin to do outwardly if we've truly been changed inwardly. And John goes over this in different ways, kind of circling back on this idea of who you are must impact what you do. If you say that you're a Christian and there are not new themes of behavior in your life, if those two things, your beliefs and professions are disconnected from your conduct, then he would say there's a concern because your life ought to authenticate and verify a change, a change of heart, that to know Jesus is so profound, so transformative, so shaping, that you cannot know him and it not begin to influence how you live. You could, you could think of other life-changing experiences. Some people survive a car wreck and they, they're never the same after that. Either physically their lives are changed or there's a second chance at life that directs their life from that point. Some people have a child and that moment of having a child, being a mom or being a dad kind of has forever marked them and their life is no longer the same. John would say it's the same thing as being a Christian. Knowing God 
Knowing him in this way forever shapes us and changes us and transforms us. And John would say, if your life is kind of aware of sin, you're professing sin, if your life is moving in obedience to the commands of God, specifically in how we love other people, then there is this assurance, a security, a confidence. That's right, a confidence that you can have in your life when it comes to knowing God and being known by him. That's what John wants. Listen, that's what I want. Uh, That's what you want. I, I think at the end of each day, we would all love to say, I know that I know God. And so John is laying that out for us. And so if you haven't been with us, you've been visiting with us, like the previous sermons that you've heard various pastors teaching on 1 John, like go back and listen to some of these because they're so important for us as we examine ourselves and reflect and kind of see our lives not disconnected but integrated with our faith and what we do. So now John picks up in John chapter 4, and these six verses I want to read to you are really almost kind of Uh, they almost kind of are self-contained. They have an important part of it. And what John is going to say now is in order for you to truly know God, there is something doctrinal that needs to be foundational in your life. It's not just an awareness of sin and professing that. It's not just being obedient and loving people. But there is an understanding and a foundation of truth that will also bring you assurance and security and confidence. So let's jump into this. Verse 1, dear friends, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So as John opens up this kind of challenge for us, what he says is, test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit. Test every spirit. Now for John, he is within a challenging situation in which there were people who professed to be Christians, who were part of the church, who have now left the church and are teaching things that are no longer kind of uh, correspond, that they're no longer linked to what the apostles had been teaching about who Jesus is. They're no longer teaching the doctrine that the apostles have laid out. And, and what's likely happening is they're teaching something that is deviated from what John is saying is most true, and their teachings coming with, with power. Like there's supernatural experiences also there. Like those things that would often give you a thought of, this is a credible teacher. This person knows what they're talking about. Some supernatural experience, some encounter is accompanying their teaching. And John is saying, be careful. How do you know whether a teacher is true or false? That's a great question. How do you know whether a teacher is true or false? It's likely that John's audience is connected with something that we might call prophecy or or a word of knowledge. And what John is saying is this, 
Is it from God or is the speaker a false prophet? John is saying, I want you to investigate it. I want you to test it. I want you to look into it. Very similar to what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5.20, Paul makes a very similar statement. He says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, meaning don't, don't be suspicious about all of them, but test, test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. So here, John says, test the spirits. Paul says, test them all. And this word test is this image of you and I kind of checking to see if metal is genuine, if metal is genuine. It's this picture that I have of the Old West movies where somebody is in a river painting for gold, right? And they, they scoop up some water and sediment and they swirl it around and all of a sudden there's something shiny and they grab it and it's their, to their excitement, right? They see something gold in their hand and what do they do next? They, they bite it. They bite the gold because there was something about gold in its softness that verified that it was genuine. Compared to other metals that were harder or more brittle, you could actually take a piece of gold and bite it and it would leave an indention of your, your teeth in it. So what, what John and what Paul are trying to tell us to do is like the teaching that you have out there, bite it, test it, examine it, turn it around. Like, see if it's real, see if it's true. Don't just take everything that you hear, but what you hear, determine if it's genuine. Another great example of this is Acts chapter 17. And Acts records this moment where Paul and Silas go to this community of, of Jews called the Bereans. And here's what they say. Here's what is written about the Bereans that is so important and a great model for us as well. In verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were more noble, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So I love this. What what we're highlighting here is they received the word of God with eagerness, and then what did they do? They examined it. They examined it to make sure that it was true. Now, fascinating is their examination actually created greater belief. When they heard what Paul said, and they went back to the scriptures to see for themselves, they weren't pulled away from faith. They weren't pulled away from Jesus. They were actually found Jesus, more real, more believable, more credible. Now, just consider that for a minute as we begin to talk to people, as we begin to think about faith and sharing. The more that we point people back to Scripture, the more that we point people back to God's Word, there's something that happens in that moment that makes faith deeper. The twist here, which I think is fascinating, the twist that John is giving us about testing the spirits, Paul too tests them all, is this, is that maturity in our faith is sometimes about unbelief as much as it is about belief. Maturity in your faith is sometimes you expressing unbelief as belief is also a sign or mark of maturity. That there is something about our lives that should be kind of in the middle. That we're not suspicious of everything, but we're not also not superstitious believing all things that we should somehow be in this middle place where we are testing and examining and evaluating and investigating. We need to take what we hear, the reports of others, and go back to scriptures. 
Now, if that's true, consider this for a moment. It's not the emotional experience that you had. It's not some display or manifestation of power or, or, or of the supernatural that is most true to whether we are in the faith or not, holding on to the faith. It is this confession. It's the statement of belief. And, and you can go back and, I mean, from Old Testament to New Testament, see where those that were false, where those that were not credible, those outside the faith, were also performing and expressing miracles, power, right? That's not really the foundational statement of what John is trying to say. Hey, don't miss this. Like, if you really want to know God, it's about what we say, what we believe, the statements, not just the spiritual experiences, so I would just say for us, if you're just kind of looking for a takeaway, here's one for you. Don't outsource your study of God's word. Don't leave it up to me. Don't leave it up to a few of your favorite teachers or pastors or two or three of the authors that you read. You have God's word. Like the scriptures in quite a few translations to study, to examine, to reflect on, to investigate, to hear something and to take it and to go back to God's word and say, does this match? Because God's word is the authority for what we ultimately say what is true. That's what John is trying to say. Don't just trust in what somebody says. Is, hey, I've got a new insight for you. I've got some secret knowledge for you. Hey, a new mystery has been revealed. I've got a word for you. And you hear that. Paul and John was like, test that. Examine it. Take all of that and go back to Scripture and make sure it's true. Now, this is, what's, this is what's also underneath, guys, just opportunities to work with our kids. There are lots of ways that you can get involved in River Tree on Sundays, and children's ministry is certainly one of those, and working with our students and middle schoolers another. And yes, I would love for those ministries to be fully functioning so when a family is visiting River Tree, that they've got an environment for their kids who are going to be affirmed and encouraged. A mom and dad can come in here and experience worship without having to kind of navigate young kids. That's just challenging for some. But that's really not the goal. It's just to create a space so mom and dad can have a different space. The goal is this that you and I would be pouring God's word into our children at an early age so that they would have their ears tuned and their hearts formed for the word of God. That they would hear it early enough so that later on, when all of a sudden something false comes, when something inaccurate comes, they can go like, that doesn't match. That's not accurate to God's word. Like we're pouring God's word into the next generation so that they too become learners and disciples and love what's available to us in God's word. There are false teachers in the world. There are people who are teaching and offering something that deviates, that deviates from what God's good is. And any, listen, any deviation from God's best isn't good. It isn't good. It reminded me of a moment years ago. Jennifer and I were on an anniversary trip. We'd never been to New York City. So we flew up there. We spent a few days around Times Square. We took in a show. We ate amazing food. And there was a, an afternoon that we had free. And this was going to be the afternoon to shop, to just explore and to see all the stores and the shops. 
And some friends said, well, if you're going to go shopping, make sure you get on Canal Street. So we asked about Canal Street, and if you've been there, you've you've kind of experienced it, but Canal Street is kind of a a few blocks down, and as you make your way down Canal Street, it's just one store after shop, after kiosk, after booth, and it is souvenirs and t-shirts, and then you get over here to like jewelry and watches, and then it's cologne, and then it's North Face jackets, and then it starts all over again. Souvenirs, t-shirts, cologne, jewelry, North Face jackets. Like that's all they really seemed to have that year, and it was just like one store, after next, after next. And so after an hour or so of just kind of perusing around, I was tapping out. I think, hey, I think I'm about done. And Jennifer's like, hey, there's one more store I want to go in. And I'm like, fine, go. So she's in the store and it's kind of like, it's just right behind me. I step out onto the curb, just people watch, which is quite entertaining. And she's in this back. This store is probably no bigger than 15 by 15. It is not a big store. So I'm like, she's going to be in there about 30 seconds and then we can go. A couple minutes went by, a couple more minutes went by. Oh, well, where is she? So I look over my shoulder, and she's not there. I'm like, there's not that, there's not like a lot of places to hide. Like, where did she go? So I walk down to the neighboring store. I kind of look in there. I don't see her. I go back to the store we just came from, and the one down next to the neighboring one, nothing. So, you know, at that point, I'm starting to kind of panic a little bit. I pick up the phone. I call her. No answer. I'm like, am I, this feels like a Liam Neeson movie. Like, I'm like, what's about to go on? What's happening? So, I mean, I'm like, I'm like the six-year-old in the grocery store. I go back to the last place I saw Jennifer and I just kind of stand there, right? I'm just like, stay right here. This is where I'm supposed to be. And as I'm standing there, just kind of wondering, is she going to show back up? Like, what's going to happen? Who do I call? I hear this, psst, Ross. I'm like, what? Psst, Ross. I look back over my shoulder in the store. She is peeking out behind the back wall. The back wall has moved. It has opened up. And she's peeking out, kind of like, hey, come in here. I'm like, what are you doing in there? Like, come here, come here. And so I walk into this room. The back wall closes behind me. It's Jennifer and I, some other woman kind of rummaging through trash bags, and this guy with this catalog And Jennifer, I don't know how long they've been talking, but Jennifer has evidently struck up a friendship with him. And they are talking about purses. And she says, hey, those purses out there, no good. The the purses in here, amazing. Like, these are the good ones. I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about yet. She goes, this purse right here, she points to the picture, Kate Spade purse, okay? I don't know. She goes, $150. He's gonna sell that to me for 40, 45. And I'm like, that still seems a lot for a purse. She's like, it's a deal. It's a deal. And so she kind of nods and he winks and he moves and he goes upstairs into some rafter kind of attic-y space. I don't know where he disappeared, but we're waiting there in the dark and I can hear the faint sound of like sewing machines and nine-year-olds, right? And he comes back. He comes back a few minutes later and he hands Jennifer this purse, Kate Spade, and she hands him $45 and we walk out with our, our fake spade purse. Like that's, she's thrilled. And I'm like, did that just happen? Like, what are you doing back there? Like, who told you to go back behind the wall by yourself? And not tell me, like, why did you do that? Well, and three weeks later, just so you know how the story ends, the little label that said Kate Spade on it, it fell off. <laughs> right? right? You know how that's, that's how it works. So I thought about this. Why were we back there? 
Why, why do you ever go into the back room? What do any of us ever do that? I think that the hope is, right? The hope is that you and I are going to get a deal. That we're going to be all of a sudden an insider. That there's something that you and I are about to experience that nobody else is really going to get. And we're going to deal on this. And we've got kind of this inside track. That's exactly what the teachers around John were doing. They were like, hey, I know that you started with Jesus, but let me tell you something new. Let me give you a a little insight. Let me give you a new revelation. Let me tell you kind of the real secret to unlocking your spiritual potential. And John is like concerned that, listen, if you deviate from what's best, the gospel, you actually ruin it. Like it's, it's not going to be credible. It, it's, it's counterfeit. And the, the gospel, what China's trying to offer us in some ways, is the gospel is so beautiful and so wonder, wonderful, and yet it is fragile that if you take Jesus and add anything to it, you get nothing. But if you have Jesus and him alone, right, then everything else begins to come. There's a flow and understanding. There isn't some new secret information that you need to know. The mystery of God has been revealed, and it is Jesus, God, with us. And he is our hope for glory. I, I found this out to be interesting. I'll, I'll offer it to you, too. Like maybe you have... Um, $20, if you have $20, $50, $100, I don't know what you, what you might have carried to church today. Um, if you, you know, give your kids, this is the moment for you kids to ask your parents for like a $20 bill. Now, what's fascinating is there's all kinds of safety measures within this bill to make sure that we know that it's authentic and not counterfeit. And I was just kind of examining these today. I knew about a few of them, but there's some that I thought were just fascinating. One is that once you get to kind of like the $5, $10, not the $1 or $2, they don't have all these measures in it. But beyond that, you get this watermark on the right side of the bill. And if you hold it up to the light, you can see a picture. And it's not printed on the surface of either side. It's actually in the threads. It's in the fabric. It's fascinating how they did that. And then in the bottom right, there's this, um, the denomination. This is 20 here. And it's colored. And this color coding is that when you turn it in the light, it changes colors. I don't know if I ever knew that before, but it changes from green to copper, special to, you know, this currency. The other thing too, is it has this security thread that runs in the bill. You can't see it unless you hold it up to the light. And if you put UV light on it, each security thread glows a specific color to the denomination, orange, pink, green. How cool is that? What's fascinating about that is the credibility of the bill is revealed as you look at it in the light. Now, John said something very similar to this in his gospel in John chapter one. He said that the light of the world was coming into the world for everyone, that there is a light. And he, he said that the light was Jesus. What John is hinting at is that there is a certain light that you use that either helps or hides credibility. Either helps you see what is true and what is real, or it will hide it. And then John, in 1 John chapter 4, makes the statement of what light is it. There's a doctrinal statement that shines light 
on all teaching, on all life that will guard you and help you know what is true. It's fantastic. Look at this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. He's about to tell us. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. All right, here's, here's what he says. And he says it so simply, and yet it is so profound. What John is saying is not insignificant. And, and, and it's certainly going to challenge us as you think about what John is saying is he's talking about what's true and what's false. But John is saying there is a way to evaluate and to examine and to test what is accurate, what is true, what is reliable. And it's this decision by acknowledging that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come in the flesh. Knowing God, knowing God is not rooted in our spiritual experiences. Knowing God is not rooted in kind of secret knowledge or emotional encounters. Knowing God and the security that God wants you to walk in, the confidence and assurance is this, your belief and trust in the incarnation. Think about that. Wow. What? That's deep doctrine. <laughs> And John is saying that if you believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, was born to us, that when Jesus came, he was fully God and fully man, and he is Christ or Messiah. Christ means anointed. Messiah means anointed. And that was the idea of he's king. And he's fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures, a king to save us. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh, our king to save us, you have what is reliable. You have what is true. You have what you can depend on. And that statement right there will save you from a multitude of lies and heresies and heretical views from Jehovah's Witness to Mormonism all the way to Islam. That statement about Jesus not being a created entity, but being the creator, affirming his deity and his sonship, those things, that, that package that John just gave us saves us from a world of problems and counterfeit teaching. It's Jesus' identity that's foundational. It's the bedrock of everything else that we need to understand. And everything else falls into its proper context when we understand the identity of Jesus. So Peter says this, 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Right? There it is. It's, there's, there's salvation there. There's the sovereignty of Jesus in there, who he is as God, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, I think that's also that's also an indicator of a false teacher. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you and fa with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So here's what, here's what John is saying. And I, honestly, this is the work for us. How do you push the incarnation and what that means into the areas of your life, into how you make decisions? Like, this is the good work for you and I. Because... What's happening is, is John's letter for a lot of this has been about how we love one another, right? Loving one another, loving God, that we know God by the way that we love one another. And so our, our culture today loves that message. 
Like they, they would affirm this idea of loving one another. But the problem is this, is if you and I don't have a foundational doctrinal belief, it will never generate, we will never generate the kind of love that is transformational. We will only tolerate one another. And if every truth is relative, and if every faith is the same, then what happens is, is you and I lose common ground, and we lose community, and we just coexist. It's this foundational statement of the identity of Jesus that then opens us up to know and be known, to truly love one another with a transformational love. Here's what I see. Just let me, just let me chase this for just a minute. Here's a difficulty that I see in our culture right now. Right? There's a, certainly a, a heightened time for people to express a desire for change. Some want new leaders. Some want no leaders. Right? There's, a, there's this hope for um, peace and justice. And so I was like, how does the incarnation bear upon that? Like, that's, a, that's a great question to ask, because if we're supposed to be people who foundationally believe in the truth of Jesus, fully God and fully man, born to us as king, like, what does the incarnation mean? How does Jesus, God in the flesh, create a foundational for us? Foundation. I would say this, a couple thoughts. As much as we see what's wrong with the world, we aren't destroying it. Because God's son, the son of God, came and took on flesh to save it, to love the world. And so Jesus taking on humanity, Jesus taking on the material, actually gave it value. And so we aren't people who are trying to create change in the world by destroying the world. We're actually changing the world by valuing it more, by realizing that it matters. I'd offer you the second idea. At the same time, Jesus is our king, Christ, the Messiah, right? That's what John says. He's got to be Christ. And he dies on the cross for our sins. And so the world isn't changed for the better until the world of sin in me is dealt with. Until I'm free from that. Until I'm set free from the bondage of sin and death, then I will never be able to affect the world in the way that we all want it to change. Because the only things that happen outwardly in the world have to happen inside me first. And so this becomes the great challenge. How the truth of the incarnation influences our culture is this. We're not demanding a new rule or we're not demanding no rule. We're submitting to the rule of Jesus, our King, on the throne of our hearts. The thing that you want, the thing that our country wants, they may not know it, is gospel-centered, vibrant churches. That the more you and I are in love with Jesus, the more you and I are committed to the truth of the incarnation, a God who would come in the flesh to save us and be our king, the more that you and I give ourselves to the kingdom, the greater we become as citizens. I become an advocate for my neighbor because I love them more deeply than I did before. I begin to think about the well-being of my neighborhood and my city because God came to a place that he deeply cares about, and now so do I. But I don't put my faith in the next ruler because Jesus is my king. Can I, can I get an amen? Like, are you with me? Like, this is what we need. We need gospel-centered, vibrant communities of Christians who are leaning into the truthfulness of historical doctrine of the greatness of God and the revelation of who Jesus is as our Savior and our King. 
When that takes root, so many other things happen. So many other things begin to take care of themselves. Listen to what Colossians 2 verse 8 says as Paul writes. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 9, if you just take that and just examine it, test it, study it, John would say your belief in that truth is transformational. It will begin to move and direct your life in brand new ways. John goes on to say, you dear, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love, listen, John gives us this incredible challenge to examine Scripture and to lean into it and to investigate it, right? That's, in some ways, it feels like that's on you to take your Bible into what you hear and to, and to test it. But what I love what John then comes back, I mean, as if we, and we needed to hear this. He says, you dear children are from God and you've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than is in the world. In other words, in all your struggles and all of your efforts and everything that you're trying to do to hold on to God and to hold on to your faith, understand this, God's got you. He's holding you. You may not know the strength of your grip right now on God, but John is saying God's grip on you is permanent. And you know how you've overcome them? You're not with them. In some ways, you're here. You're here and you're continuing and you're hanging in there and God is sustaining you in that. Don't think that, oh my goodness, it's all up to me to just distinguish what's false and what's true and what am I going to do? And John's not leaving us in this place where we're supposed to be scared and anxious, but he's letting us know that God is so for you that he is going to reveal to you the things that you need to know to keep you close to him, that greater is he that is in you than is in the world. We overestimate the power of the world and we underestimate the power of God in us. Jesus' own disciples, they were concerned about him leaving at his ascension. They were like, where are you going to go? Don't leave us. And Jesus says, listen, when I go, I'm going to send you someone, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who's going to teach you and guide you in all truth. Do you know that? As dear children, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Listen to him. Let him guide you in truth. Let him take you to the word. Let him point you to Jesus often. And there will be an, a confidence and an assurance and a security that you will experience in your faith because of who you are. Jesus this, my sheep know my voice. We don't listen to others. Let me, let me close in this. In John 10, Jesus says this. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought you out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. As God speaks, you're going to hear him. As one of his kids, 
As Jesus uses this illustration about a sheep and a shepherd, the good news is that those that are God's kids will hear God's words. And that's why John's confident that you will be sustained. Psalm 52, 12 says, cast all your cares on the Lord for he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So hang in there because God's got you. Examine, test, discern, study the scriptures because it's a way we experience deep assurance and God's love and experience him. My hope and prayer is that you would leave here challenged to study God's word, but confident in the Lord's hand in your life to sustain you and to carry you through even the most difficult and challenging of circumstances. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we see Man, we look around and see so many messages and causes and crusades. Help us. Help us to know how to distinguish between what is true and what is false, what is real, what is counterfeit. God, let the bedrock of our lives be this confession that Jesus is God, our God, and he's in the flesh and he is Christ, our King, come to save. And we're his. Jesus, we need you. And in a few moments, I pray as we sing that there will be words of the gospel that will become what we speak back, words about grace, words about forgiveness being available, about your goodness, presence in our lives that even when our faith feels thin you sustain us it's not always our hold on you that we're supposed to find confidence in but it's your hold on us and so we thank you for your word this morning and pray that it would leave us in greater love and greater confidence and a greater assurance that if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we really are His. He has us. We have overcome. Oh, we love you.